like, cause with Japanese, it's like, it took me like five years to get to the point where I really felt comfortable, like to the point where, you know, put, take any book off the shelf, understand it, have whatever conversation I wanted. And that was dedicating my entire life to it. So when I saw like, oh, I'm spending like one, two hours a, a day on Chinese, like I'm never going to get anywhere. Yo, welcome back to the Kodagata podcast. This is part two of our conversation with Matt, the man behind the Maverick Japan YouTube channel and co-founder of the Mass Immersion Approach. If you haven't already, make sure to go back and listen to part one of our conversation as we pick up right where we left off. Also, if this is your first time listening to the Kodakata podcast, my name is Eric and I'm joined by my co-host Raza. And on our show, we talk about our experiences living in Japan and we interview foreigners and Japanese people who have lived or have are living there in Japan. In our discussion with Maverick Japan, we talk a lot about its identity as Maverick Japan, his ambitions for the mass immersion approach and his future outlook for where he wants to take things. If you like the podcast so far, we would really appreciate it if you could like and subscribe as it would really help us in making more content. Thank you so much and hope you guys enjoy the podcast. You also talked a lot about your personal struggles as well as your personal growth in terms of your identity, right? So would you say at this point right now, do you feel content with yourself and your identity? Um... Well, much, much more content than I was, uh, like, like last year and even, and then last year I was more content than I was previous year. So it's still a work in progress. Like I definitely think I have, you know, still have a lot to go. Um, but yeah, it's, I'd say like, it's like a night and day difference compared to like where I was when I made that three hour video. Yeah. And I don't know, like personally, the idea of, um, I guess when I was in Japan too, like. I came in not knowing anything. I was just like that guy. I was like, oh shit, like what the fuck have I gotten myself into? But I feel like having, I guess, all those times where you're being put down so hard, I guess, it really gives you that flip side opportunity to grow as well. Yeah, yeah. Like now I I, I totally believe that you, you kind of have to put yourself in, in situations where you're going to struggle in order to really grow. Like you have to get out of your comfort zone for sure. Yeah, and now, like, we talked a lot about Japanese and how MIA, I guess, and MIA is really, it's seen, I guess, to the general public as for Japanese, but MIA, MIA can be used for any language, right? Yeah. So how how have you been, because um, I know you've been doing Chinese, so, and maybe other languages as well. So I was wondering, how has that been going in terms of, how, how do you like seeing MIA like personally being used in terms of other languages. Yeah, well actually in the in the past couple of months a lot of uh, like MIA side communities have kind of popped up like there's a, a community of people learning Korean with MIA and they have their own they kind of like someone made a subreddit and they have their own Discord community and I'm in there but they someone else basically runs it and and there's also kind of like I've seen there's a kind of like another community of people using it for Spanish. And there's some, there's a recently, I just found one for Mandarin too. And so it's kind of interesting to see that it's almost like in a sense, a sort of decentralization. I mean, I definitely don't want it to become completely decentralized because <laughs> I, you know, I still gotta want to be in the center of this thing. But, <laughs> but what, what I'm kind of realizing now is that like, that's actually the best for MIA's growth because it's like, if we allow other, t- other members who are, who are just passionate about it to, to go and, you know, create their own side communities and, and, and things like that. And like, actually like start iterating on the, on like, okay, well, what happens when you apply MI to Korean? Like what changes, like what, what tweaks are going to be effective? What, what 
decks are effective, what, re, what like what grammar guy is effective. Like they're kind of figuring that stuff out for us. And so like when the time comes where we're more ready to be like, okay, now we're going to like put some c- content for Korean specifically on the site. We can go to that community and be like, okay, what did you guys like? What's your current consensus? You know, out of like, okay, maybe 50 of you guys have like reached a, you know, pretty high level of Korean through MI. Like what did you guys learn? And then we'll be able to just deliver that to everyone else through our platform. So I think it's really cool to see how, in a way, it's really not just us that are, that's part of this. It is kind of like a movement and everyone is able to play a role. There's a lot of other people in the community too, that are like making little tools that help. Like when I, a couple months ago, I put out a condensed audio video where, um, basically you can, uh, I mean, you guys can link the video. I won't spend too much time going. So basically it's the idea of you can, um, take the audio file for a TV show that you watched and then remove all the, all the parts of the audio file where, no one's talking so that you can have like, basically you can just get more language per hour, more listening practice per hour by listening to this condensed form with all the blank air taken out. And we made a very rudimentary tool in order to create these condensed audio files. And after we put the idea out there, like four or five other people created like a better tool that can help you use it. That like made it easier to do and made it made you easier to do it in bulk and fix some of the potential issues. And so it's kind of cool to see that, that like there's a lot of people programmers in the community and things like that and so yeah yeah i feel like it's it's kind of like this this uh bigger movement and i, I guess we can move more towards the community aspect then because in the beginning it was really just you right just with mia it was kind of as more as more like centralized to you and now you have all this outpouring support a lot going all the way through what is one thing been that's kind of like really like made you feel warm inside like wow like these people are doing this like like not just for me but just for this movie yeah i mean i mean i get tons of comments like people will just dm me saying like hey matt i just wanted to say like your content completely changed my life like before i was doing traditional methods and didn't have any success and i started doing mia and now like six months later i've made more progress than i made in years and like or like people being like yeah i i, I used mia to, to like reach this level and then i got a job because of it and like get all these messages like that. And so that's really cool. But also like on Twitter, when I see basically like people, like when, when, a when a bigger, someone with a bigger following, like let's say PewDiePie or something, right? I think of PewDiePie is trying to learn Japanese. And I don't think PewDiePie has like seen MIA yet, but the people who are like, will go into his like, his like chats and at him on Twitter, be like, God, no, PewDiePie, you got to check out Maverick Japan. Got to check out MIA. So like when I see other people like trying to get, like, like trying to basically recruit, just because there's nothing in it for them, right? Besides that they just believe in it and they just want to, you know, share what they believe in. So like seeing that like people feel strongly enough about it where they're going to just go and, and like go out of the way to try to, to spread it. I think that is like, to me, a sign that like we're doing something right. Cause that's, that's like the, it's kind of like the ultimate sign that, you know, you're doing something right. If like people are just feeling like they want to go and, and spread your content and things like that. So that definitely is really cool. Do you feel like, MIA, as you're working on it right now, has a complete estate, like maybe all the stages and all the principles and techniques that you want to put out there? No, not even close. It feels like it feels like we only got like 1%. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we're, we're, we're cha- changing it all the time. And I mean, I've learned so much through interacting with the community. Like, like I, uh, like I kind of just recently, we kind of created a whole new version of the outline of MIA. Where before there were five stages of going from like complete beginner to like near native level, where now is there's four stages, but each stage has like part one, part two, 
and it's a lot more streamlined in within a couple of weeks it should be like on the website we're going to like kind of restructure the website but it's way more streamlined it's way easier to understand it's way easier to like apply to your own situation and i never would have been able to make that without like basically putting out the old overview and then seeing how it plays out in reality seeing like, what are the problems with it you know what what parts are not clear to people what 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 are the things that people want but they're not getting and also just with, with like techniques and seeing like okay what a, like i'll see comments saying of like asking the same questions or like reporting the same struggles and that will tell me like oh so this is something that people struggle with whereas there's no way for me to, to predict ahead of time what people are gonna gonna like be stuck on and things like that so it's definitely an iterative process where it's like i got to put out content see how people respond to it you know see what people report and then go and change that and then other people will have good ideas that will out you know take in as well so it's very much kind of like this back and forth process where i feel like like this next version of the site is going to be a big upgrade but i'm sure that it, we're going to keep improving it over time and especially with like um different like ba basically when i first started creating my youtube channel my mindset was that like immersion learning is a very hardcore thing and if you're not willing to basically dedicate your whole life to it then you're never really going to succeed and what i'm realizing now is that like actually if you make the method good enough then it's going to be possible for people to have success even if they also have a job and maybe a family and then like only have a couple hours a day i mean especially if you're talking about like a european language it's gonna it's still gonna be like if you're really trying to learn japanese or chinese and you only have a couple hours a day it's still gonna be difficult but i'm seeing now that like there's like i, I always thought that the immersion approach was hardcore by nature but i'm realizing it doesn't have to be i mean of course i think uh there's something to be said for going hardcore and for people in certain situations, I definitely encourage it. And I think it's the best way to get good quickly. But most people are not in a position to get hardcore. And what I'm realizing now is like, oh, I actually see the potential to create a method where like the average person could actually implement it. And like basically some, some of like the changes now that like, I mean, if myself from three years ago heard these, I wouldn't be, I would be like, no, you're watering it down. But what I'm seeing now is like, well, in a sense, I'm watering it down, but I'm also making it accessible to the average person. Like... What I'm going to tell people to do now is like for, for the beginning part of the process, like when you very first start a new language, like watch content in that language with English subtitles and then on the side, like memorize with Anki or, or SRS, like memorize the most common, like 1500 or 2000 words and like read through a grammar guide. And before I would have said like, oh, well, don't watch the English subtitles because you're not going to learn very much. Like just watch raw and train your listening. But the thing is, when you first start a new language, you don't understand anything and you sit down and try to like actively watch a TV show where you understand nothing like that is really difficult. It's actually it's like not very fun. It's pretty fucking tedious. Even for me, like when I was trying to like I did it when I was learning Japanese because I was just so motivated and so passionate. But like even when I try to do that with Chinese, it's like it's not a fun experience. So what I'm realizing now is like, well, just pragmatically watch with English subtitles and then through that, you can at least develop a habit of spending time with your target language, because I think a lot of people have an English addiction, and that's the first barrier they encounter. So at least you can help break that English uh, break that English addiction. You can start discovering what types of content you like in your target language, build up that habit of setting aside time every day. And then also you can use that content that you watch the English subtitles as passive immersion, and it will be more comprehensible because you have watched it once with the subtitles, and that can still help you get your ears used to the sounds of the language. And so it's like, if we're talking about, okay, the first stage of the process is like spend a half hour to an hour a day watching like a TV show that you like with English subtitles, and then also like memorize 
10, 20 words a day in Anki. Like that's something the average person can do. It's still, it's still not easy, right? That's still like two, two hours, two, three hours. And then also for saying, okay, try to do some passive immersion too. It's still a commitment, but it's something that is possible for a busy person who's motivated. And then over time you can ramp up the immersion and, and like remove the English subtitles. And it, it can be a gradual process. It doesn't have to be so like cut and dry or like black and white. And so I'm seeing now like the potential of like, oh, like this, we could bring this to the masses in a sense, you know? Yeah. And also knowing that you've been studying other languages, do you imagine um, using these techniques to reach a similar level that you have with Japanese? Or do you imagine just reaching like maybe say a base level of fluency? I think like, I don't think I'll probably ever take a language as far as I took Japanese. Like basically in, in the new way of structuring the, the structuring MIA, call, we're going to call it the roadmap basically. So like I said, there's four stages. So basically the, the first stage is like getting, like getting to the point where you can like actually get into immersion, you know, like, okay, you're learning the most common words or setting up your environment and things like that. So it's kind of just like the prerequisites. Stage two is basically the beginner. You could say it very, very roughly. Stage two is beginner, stage three is intermediate, stage four is advanced. And so like by the by the end of stage three, you're at basic fluency. And then stage four is like just taking that basic fluency and spreading it out and there's no true end, right? So what I realized is that like the language learning process looks very different depending on whether you're in stage two versus stage three versus stage four. Like the subjective experience is like totally different because like in stage two, when you're just trying to build up your initial foundation and like understanding the language, like reading and listening, like you're totally lost. You understand hardly anything. You're like feel excited when you finally, when you like piece together a single sentence, at least at the beginning. And then, you know, you get to that point. Whereas like stage three is like, okay, now you understand a lot of stuff. You can watch shows and follow the plot. And it's kind of just that intermediate plot plateau kind of area where you're like, man, like there's so many words. I don't know. I'm learning a ton of words, but, there seems to be a never ending supply. When is this going to go away? When am I going to like get to that next level where I really like feel like I'm there? And then stage four is kind of where, where you're like, okay, I'm totally, I'm fluent. I'm really, it's kind of like where I'm at now. It's like, I'm totally fluent. Um, but there's still all these little things I'd want to improve, but improving them takes like a lot of grind work because I'm experiencing extreme diminishing returns. I like got to that point. And so I kind of feel like, yeah, the language learning process is totally different at each stage. And so I, I think that, um, I will probably never like go through that stage four process with another language besides Japanese, just because I don't think I'm ever really going to want it badly enough because uh, there's no language that I'm, I don't think that I think I'm that passionate about. Like ultimately I'm still most passionate about Japanese. Like I'd, I'd still rather like take my Japanese to the highest level possible than try to go and like get another language to the place where I'm at in Japanese. And the thing is like the, Going like the stage two and stage three, you can actually get there with without a extreme level of commitment. So like, I mean, especially if you're talking about a European language, like you could probably get to a decent level in Spanish in a year with like an hour or two a day, like very minimal commitment. And so I could see myself doing that for basically two re like I'll probably learn a couple of European languages at some point. First of all, just so that I'll have the experience of learning a European language so that I'll be able to make the MI content better. And also just because it's like, hey, it'd be cool, like, go to, you know, go to a French, like, restaurant or whatever, or, like, you speak French to the waiter or whatever, like, impress your people around you. And I think it'd be fun, you know, like, language learning is fun. And so 
when you're learning a European language, it's kind of, I, I, like from what I've heard, it's kind of like you're just on easy mode. So you make quick gains and it's just, it can just be a genuinely a lot of fun. And, um, so I'm interested in like French, German, and Spanish. So, but, but I'm minimal interest. So it's like, I'll probably get to like stage two, maybe like halfway through stage three in those. And then be like totally satisfied and be like, okay, I have no interest in like pursuing this further. And then I'm also interested in, in Chinese and Korean. And like, I am like kind of studying Chinese now. And, uh, I could see myself maybe taking those further, but mainly with in the, in the area of comprehension. Cause I think for me personally, like with Chinese, for example, I, I'm really, I do have a desire to learn how to understand Chinese because I'm really fascinated how like the written language is just just kanji and and in a way the spoken language is also just kanji just without the kanji so i mean like after learning a little bit of japanese or a little bit of chinese i see how how much chinese has been imported into japanese like i experienced that more i realized like oh yoji jukugo is pretty much just a little chinese sentence like inserted into japanese and and there's a lot of other little things like that so to realize like oh imagine if you took all those little little bits of like kanji of like kanji compounds and all that stuff and then it was like a whole language that was just that like that idea sounds really interesting. And like when I am watching shows in Chinese and stuff and, and I understand like there are times where I understand a sentence and, it, and I realize like, whoa, that's a totally different way of expressing that idea than in either Japanese or English. And it, it's like learning a new way of thinking. And I really like that experience of learning that new way of thinking, learning how to comprehend meaning in an entirely new way. And especially through the characters and just through like Chinese, the way it's structured is so totally different than, than English and Japanese. So I find that very interesting. But I don't really have a desire to be able to like speak it myself. Like my desire more revolves around gaining that understanding. Like I think if I got to the point where I could like read books in Chinese, I think I would pretty much be satisfied. Because I mean, I don't really care about talking to Chinese people that much, to be honest. Like there's plenty of English and Japanese people I could talk to already. So like for me, even with Japanese too, like I am interested in speaking Japanese, but my the thing I'm most interested in is is just understanding it like being able to consume meaning and consume other humans thoughts in a new unique way is like the thing that is most rewarding and interesting to me so are there things that you did like habits that you put in place that helped you improve in Japanese but were unable to replicate for Chinese like maybe because the passion was wasn't as much there well I mean in a way there's a you you it might seem at first glance that going really hardcore at learning a language would be the hardest thing to do because it's kind of like, oh, well, studying two hours a day is hard. Imagine studying 10 hours a day. That sounds, you know, like five times as hard. But in reality, when you're going really hardcore, you're basically saying like, I'm going to like spend as much time as possible on learning this language. And I'm going to everything else besides learning this language, I'm going to cut down to the bare minimum. And so in a way, this makes your life very simple because whenever you have to make a decision about how you're going to use your time, you just have to ask yourself, like, like, is this like for anything that's not Japanese, you just ask yourself, can I cut this out? If the answer is yes. You cut it out. If not, you do it because you have to do it. And then if the question is ever like, should I do Japanese or something that's not Japanese? You just always choose Japanese. And so in a way your life becomes very simple. It's kind of like how like Steve jobs always wore the same outfits. So we never had to pick his outfit. It's like, it simplifies your life in a simpler in a similar type of way as that. And also there's this other component of like, if you never watch English YouTube videos, then you never, like, you don't even know what English YouTube videos exist. Like you're, you're never getting recommended YouTube videos. So you, you, the temptation doesn't even exist. 
Same thing with like, you don't, you're not seeing what movies are. Like when I was learning Japanese, I never saw what movies were coming out. I never saw what shows were coming out. Never heard of Game of Thrones. Never heard of Breaking Bad because I was living in a Japanese bubble. And so it was actually easy to do that because there was no temptations. I was literally only seeing other Japanese things. So it, it was very natural because I was in that environment. And I think that's the kind of idea of AJAD is you build this environment that kind of does all the heavy lifting for you. And so when I'm learning Chinese, I never had the intention of going that hard because I still wanted to do Japanese. I still wanted to work on MIA. And so it, it was very much like a, a side hobby. And so it's a totally different game because like when I was playing Japanese, I didn't have to deal with like, oh, there's a Japanese thing I want to watch and an English thing I want to watch. How do I get myself to do the Japanese, the Chinese thing instead? You know, that was never an issue I had to deal with. And so it's like a whole, a totally different game that you, that you have to play of like how, like, how do you, um, you know, balance that, that learning this new language with all the other things in your life? And the other thing is that, like, I think one of the most discouraging things about learning Chinese for me personally was that because I had learned Japanese, I knew firsthand how long it takes to actually get decent. And what, what, what would always happen when I would start, like, learning Chinese is, like, because I, I would... Basically, I'd do it for a couple months and then I would kind of drop it. And then six months or two years later, I'd do it for a couple months again and then I'd drop it. What happened every time is that the first couple weeks, it would just be like honeymoon period. Like, oh, this is so cool. Like, it's like discovering a new world, you know, just just have that that sense of wonder and, and, you know, it feels exotic and exciting. And then that kind of like that period goes away. And then just the raw reality that like, man, at this rate. It's going to take me fucking years to get even somewhat decent. And then even then, I'm still going to mostly suck. And like, because with Japanese, it's like, it took me like five years to get to the point where I really felt comfortable, like to the point where, you know, book, take any book off the shelf, understand it, have whatever conversation I wanted. And that was dedicating my entire life to it. So when I saw like, oh, I'm spending like one, two hours a, a day on Chinese, like I'm never going to get anywhere. And that... And it was that sense of discouragement that would make me drop it because it's kind of like, well, I don't have enough time to actually put in the amount of time it would take to make fast progress. And so what's the point of like just doing a little bit at a time? Plus, there was also that sense of realizing like, oh, with Japanese, like even after five years, I'm still not really where I'd want to be. So that you, when, you, when that reality kind of hits you of like, oh, if you actually want to like make this language a real part of your life, then like that is such a commitment. It's literally it's like adopting a child pretty much. So then it would kind of just hit me like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to like commit on this level. Like, I don't, I don't know if I care that much or if like that's, I, I, I want to spend that much time on it because there's all these other things that I want to do. So then I, and then I would end up dropping it basically. And so what I've been moving more towards recently is really like, I mean, now I've really changed my mindset from like, I'm trying to learn this language to like, I'm just trying to do the activity of language learning. And the, the, the true main purpose of it is just to be engaged in the act of language learning so that I can help create MIA better and relate to my viewers better and like be writing from firsthand experience instead of memories from many years ago when I'm like creating MIA content. And so in that sense, like, yeah, I might like with Chinese feel like I'm making like snail level progress because I mean, Chinese is so hard. I feel like there's and like with listening in particular, Chinese is harder than Japanese. So like, I, I like, that's why I have thoughts of like, should I just start like learning German or French? Because then maybe I could actually make decent progress in an hour a day. And that would kind of have this problem solved. Ultimately, I, I am more interested in Chinese than in French or German. I do have that desire to, I, that I do want to know it. And also, I think it's good for me to be doing the extra hard one. It's like, that's what's going to make me learn the most. And so 
it is how it's been like, yeah, like learning to change my mindset to just viewing it as like, I'm not trying to get good. I'm just like, it's like trying to be more Zen about it of just like chop wood, carry water. Like, I'm not trying to like, I'm just going to be engaged in the act and I'm not going to think about how, how good I'm getting. I'm not going to think about where I'm heading. I'm just going to like be engaged in in that moment. And when I do that, it, it it's very enjoyable and entertaining. Like, especially when you watch like with Chinese, with the Chinese subtitles, then makes it more comprehensible and can understand some stuff. So like, yeah, I'd say it's been totally, a totally different game than Japanese for, because of the way I'm approaching it. But the thing is, most of my, most of the people doing MIA are in a similar situation to me now with Chinese, rather not what I was doing when I was doing Japanese. Most people aren't able to totally dedicate themselves and they have to w- figure out how to balance, you know, learning a language with the rest of their, their life. So I feel like it's really important for me to be, you know, engaged in this and taking on this, this kind of task and figuring this out in a way. And I think like, I, I want to read more books just about like how to develop habits and, and, uh, and, and things like that. Cause I think that's going to play a big role in this kind of model of language learning. So on the topic of going back to MIA, this is more from like a business perspective. When you're starting up a new business, it always takes twice as long as what you might think. It'll cost twice as much and you're never the exception. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, if you might think you can set up a website in like two days, it might take two weeks, like, and so on and so forth. I, I was going to ask, what was one thing that took you so much longer than you initially thought when you were st- first starting out MIA that really blew your mind? I mean... It's just like you said, everything takes way longer than you think. <laughs> like, I mean, just like little things of like when I, like whenever we release an add-on, I have to write up the guide for the add-on that we put on the site that explains all the features. And it'll always be like, oh, that should take like two, three days. And then it might take like two weeks to like actually flesh out every single feature and like make the GIFs that demonstrate, you know, show the feature and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like every little thing and like, you know, videos always take longer than I think think they're going to take and writing articles takes way longer than I think it's going to take because you can't you know, really rush the creative process a lot of time you know so yeah I mean I mean also I've never done anything like run MIA before I mean essentially this is like the first thing I'm doing with my life besides like learning Japanese it's like the, the first like I haven't even worked very many part-time jobs when I was a, you know when I was younger so it really is like kind of the first type of thing like this that I've done so definitely been a learning process like i've I've learned so much over the past couple years like so many things looking back on that were like really dumb decisions like like basically catering like when we were making add-ons like we we catered way too much to like the one percent of people that were like super technical and and like we're gonna like for example in the mi japanese add-on like basically what the MI Japanese add-on does is it allows you to like paste in a Japanese sentence and then press a button and then have like furigana be added to that sentence and have things automatically colored for pitch accent. So the add-on comes like pre pre-made with a, a a card type that you can use with the add-on. That's like a sentence, it's a card type for a sentence card. But there's also this module within the add-on where you can basically customize your own card templates to function exactly how you would want. And it like took like 80% of the time working on the add-on went towards creating the module that lets you customize the card that you want. But like 90% of people just use the pre-made card type that it comes with. And and they don't even know that that feature exists that you can like customize the card template. And so like most of our time went to something that only a tiny minority of people used. 
but we but at the time it felt like no we we can't just force people to use our car type we have to make it customizable like we whereas now in hindsight it's like no we should have just made the car maybe we could have three different car types you know could come with three different car types they're what we think are the best car types and if you don't like that too bad um learn programming and fix it yourself <laughs> like that's what we should have done and would have taken a fraction of the time and then like people like almost everyone would have been just as happy and the add-on probably would have been easier to use because it wouldn't have been as bloated so so a lot of things where we're kind of learning to like streamline things more and not like cater too much to like the the tiny percentage of people that that want like way too much functionality because most people they just like only use the most basic feature and stuff anyway so that's like one example of stuff that i've learned and 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 other things like that and and so like now even like i got i recently got an editor to who edits my videos and you'd think that that would dramatically or drastically reduce the amount of time it takes to make a video and it does but it's but still like working with the editor takes time you know like I, explaining to him what i wanted to do takes time you know going through the rough draft of the video and pointing out the things that i that like revisions takes time and then still like i have to come up with the thumbnail and i still have to like you know like make the description and then post it on social media it's like there's still a lot of all these steps that you don't take into account that add up to make things take longer than you'd think so yeah, definitely. I'm still figuring out, trying to trying to like get more efficient and more productive all the time. Yeah, and another thing I guess about really having your own business that a lot of people don't really think about, like in in the case of MIA, everyone's thinking, oh, the add-ons, like what you're actually doing with the language, but no one actually thinks about like the financials and all the accounting. <laughs> so how's that process? How's that process been for you, where you all of a sudden have all of this like business? aspects coming at you because you know like there's not just like one aspect of it there's just so many things that go and interplay and go i guess work with what the main thing you're doing and if you don't do those right you're pretty much screwed yeah i mean it's definitely really overwhelming and it still feels like there's so much that i need to learn that i don't know yet and it is really hard to balance like learning about more about like accounting and and taxes and and like copyright and trademark like while actually creating the content every week and i think something that like i have personally struggled with is that um like someone recently introduced me to this con this like distinction between like urgency and importance so it's like you know there's some tasks that are urgent and important and there's some tasks that are urgent and not important and then there's some tasks that are not urgent and not important and there's some tasks that are urgent or that are important but not urgent and so, for example, like maybe like, you know, learning more about how to trademark things is something that it's important, but it's not urgent in the sense that if I don't do it this week, nothing, no, no immediate negative consequences going to come about. But things like making videos do feel like important and urgent because it's like, well, if I don't, if I'm not putting videos out, then like people might remove their pledge on Patreon or like forget about us or like we'll become a real, we'll move towards being irrelevant or something like that. And so basically like all my all my time ends up going towards the things that feel urgent and important. And then there's all these things that are important, but not urgent that end up never getting done. And so I guess like what I feel like I've been trying to do more recently is like learn how to just set, like no matter how many urgent and important things it feels like there are learning to like still find, like learning to just set aside some time unconditionally to work on the important things that are not urgent. Otherwise they just never get done. And yeah, it's something I've, I've been like working on, but still, have a lot of room in, uh, to improve. I see. So I, I guess um, talk a lot about like 
how much time t- every how much time all these tasks take but like we kind of like hinted at this aspect of scheduling so how has that been for you because scheduling is like a whole different beast in and of itself because it's one thing to actually make the schedule but then following through with it is like a whole another thing especially when not only are you running a youtube channel but you're running a whole separate business behind that as well so how have you kind of taken that on in terms of balancing all of these together and making the most of it i mean to be honest i still feel like i kind of suck in that area and i'm still like very much just figuring it out so i kind of be like ask me in two years how i figured it out once i figured it out because i'm very much just still in like the trial and error and like feeling like i'm constantly like failing type of mode i mean i'm definitely making progress but like the thing that i have expertise in is like learning a language to a high like learning japanese high level everything else i'm like the total noob in essentially and i'm like figuring it out as i go so yeah like i think like i i know how to improve at these problems because that's something i learned just through gaining other skills in my life but the solution to these particular problems are definitely things that i uh i'm still in the process of, of figuring out so yeah ask me again in two years i'll, <laughs> I'll tell you uh, how, how i made it work yeah i got you <laughs> two years let's get it <laughs> I, I guess how's that been for you too like you've talked a lot about um how like language learning has been like really rewarding for you in terms of like the growth and you you talked uh, briefly about meditation as well but how has i guess um learning more about business like has it felt really rewarding for you has it felt like personal growth outside of like your norm i mean for me it kind of feels like up until relatively recently the idea of like starting my own business and being completely independent felt completely inaccessible. It felt like, you know, they never teach you about that in school. No one really tells, like sits you down and even tells you that this is an option or how to go about doing it. So it kind of just feels like, oh, that's for, for like special people. Like not for me. Like I don't, I have no idea how to make that work. And so it's kind of been this process of realizing that, yeah, there's a lot you need to learn. And there's a lot of, it's like, it's really hard and, and takes a, a lot of time and effort, but it's not, really as inaccessible as it might seem at first like there's there's a lot to learn but it's it's a limited amount and you can learn it all you know and it's like it's it's there's a lot of resources available and and ultimately it's it's like it's doable so it's really cool to just kind of be going through the shift of realizing like oh i'm actually gonna start my own business like i'm actually gonna be someone who's independent i'm not gonna have to be employed like i'm gonna actually be my own boss and that's really cool and especially with the with the like, because the way that I see it is the skills it takes to run a business are totally transferable, right? Like, that's why you see it's really common for people to have started multiple totally unrelated but successful businesses because it's like the real skill in running a business isn't like, you know, just knowing exactly what to do to make it work. It's the skill of actually like trying something, getting feedback on it, and then iterating on it. And it's knowing how to go through that that gradual improvement process. And so no matter even if you start off like way off a target, like as long as you know how to go through that iteration process, you can work your way towards creating a product that uh, is going to, um, well, assuming that you're starting off with, the, with trying to solve a problem that people actually have, then, you know, you're going to be able to work your way to creating a solution to it. And so uh, that's why that's the kind of the coolest thing about this whole situation is, is that like whatever happens with MIA, 
even if it's a complete flop and it just like ends up going to shit and like nothing comes out of it, I still will have learned a lot about how to run a business and, and all these other things. And it will prepare me for whatever I do next. And I mean, even that's why in a way I'm not even, I'm not scared of failure because of the grand scheme of things, like failing at your first business is nothing to be ashamed of, right? It's, it's a really common thing. And tons of people who ended up being really successful failed their first business. So it's just like, you know, it's, you kind of, you have to go through the failure to, to get to the success. So that's why I feel like no matter what happens, it's all going to be, it's all going to be, you know, uh, gr- grist for the mill and it's going to lead to something good in the future. And that's kind of the coolest thing about this whole situation. And ultimately, yeah, I mean, it just, it's like, I never really planned for things to go this way because when I first started my YouTube channel, it was really just cause I didn't, I didn't, I was, didn't know what else to do. Cause I wasn't ready to go back to school. I had, had no other ideas for stuff I, I, I could do. So I didn't think that this was going to end up becoming like a legitimate business that, you know, I was going to spend years of my life on. It just kind of ended up coming this way. Like, you know, things ended up unfolding this way. And I'm really grateful for it because now I have this opportunity to like actually start my first business, which is like the hardest thing to do. Right. Like that, that that's really the, the difference between those people who end up, I think, you know, maybe always wanting to become an entrepreneur, but never really, really like taking the first step. And, and people who end up really making it work is just that it's like. Will you actually like go through that first process of like trying to do it and going through all the hardships and learning it all as you go and failing at all, all these different things. And, and so that's why I feel like it ultimately, like, first of all, it's really cool that I'm like helping people learn languages and like actually providing value to people. That is really cool. But the other really cool thing is like, well, I'm actually like taking my first legitimate step towards being someone who like works for themselves and is independent. And that is really cool. So I, I, feel, I honestly just feel so lucky because I, I, I don't feel like I was some guy who like in high school was like, no, I'm going to be different. I'm going to like go read some health self-help books and I'm going to make my, I'm going to be self-made. Like I just stumbled into it. I got really lucky ultimately. And so, um, yeah, I'm just really grateful for it. You also alluded to the difficulties of like the first step into getting into a business and that in and of itself is a huge topic. And I feel like that's also kind of, aided with the idea of all these societal pressures going down on you like oh how come you're not just getting a regular nine to five job and i'd say the most common of these like pressures is the closest pressure which is the pressure from your family what was your family's reaction when you told them i'm gonna be doing youtube and i'm gonna be having my own company as well alongside that well i mean it was kind of like a gradual thing, you know, mm-hmm. like at, what, at first it was just like, hey, I'm getting like a hundred bucks a month for my Patreon. So that's, that's where it started and it just kind of gradually grew. So, I mean, I think, um, my, my parents were happy for me when I first made my Patreon and I was getting some money a month because it's like, hey, well, you must be doing something if you're actually, you know, getting money and like being put into your bank account every month. And so I think they were happy about that, but probably also a little bit of like, you know, worried, like, well, what is Matt going to do with his life? Because it's like, okay, he left school. Like, what is he really going to do? But I also think my parents are kind of like, are pretty in a way kind of like next level on the sense that like, cause I mean, they're essentially boomers, but for boomers, they're like, like have like a really good understanding of like what is going on in the current world. And I kind of get that. It's like, I feel like a lot of people's parents are just going to pressure them to like try to get a job, like a normal type of job, like, you know, get on a, 
a tried and true path where my parents kind of see like the world is going into a place that it's never been in before. So there are no tried and true paths. Like the things that used to be considered tried and true paths aren't necessarily going to be that in the future. And, and so I think that they like, in a sense they like my, my, my dad kind of had the mindset of like, yep, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm sure you'll figure it out. Like, you know, you're smart. You're not, you're ambitious. Like you're not, you're not going to be satisfied with a shitty life. So kind of, kind of think he just had that trust. Like, I'm sure you figured it out. And at times I kind of feel like I wish he was a little more hands-on and I wish he would be a little bit more like, help me figure it out. Like, don't just be so hands-off. Just let me like, you know, be kind of feels like, you know, I'll just be sitting there struggling and he'll just be like, yeah, I'm sure he'll figure it out, whatever. <laughs> like, he's like so like chill about it. It's like a default so, but, response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But ultimately I, th- I think like, I'm really like, I-, I would way prefer that though than like the traditional type of parent. I'm just like, get a job. Why don't you have a job? What are you doing on the internet? You know? Cause mm-hmm. um, I think, and I think my dad also had the perspective of like, yeah, you're learning a lot. Like you're, you're interacting with people, you're providing a service and getting money in return for that service. You're learning about all the, the things you're going to deal with everywhere in life about dealing with people and, and learning how to, you know, you know, provide to a, an audience and meet their needs and things like that. So I think he kind of saw that like, I'm, I'm having valuable learning experiences. And when I would tell him like, Oh, my Patreon passed $1,000 a month. He would be like, I remember like, he'd be so so he was really impressed about that. And then I'm like, oh, past $2,000 a month, he was like really impressed. And then it's like, hey, past $4,000 a month, he's like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, they're just, set, people are just sending you money every month, like $4,000 or whatever. And so it's like, uh, like, I, I know he, he definitely kind of like felt pretty positively towards that. And then like, uh, ultimately, actually, like I was living with my parents have been divorced for a long time. And so I was living with my dad for, for uh, pretty much ever since I got back from Japan. <coughs> And for a while, I had enough money where I could have been living on my own. But I figured like, well, I mean, I like like my my dad was more like a roommate than a father in a lot of ways. Like, you know, it was pretty much like the only time we'd talk was when we happened to be like eating dinner at the same time, like unplanned. And uh, we'd, we'd like always be doing our own thing. And uh, and so it was really chill. And the house was super nice because, you know, he has, a, you know, he makes a lot of money. So like uh, it was way nicer than whatever apartment I was going to live in. So I was kind of like, hey, I don't like, and, and why go out of my way to get a shitty apartment and have to pay rent? Like, this is like pretty, pretty cool setup. So even though, uh, you know, a lot of people like talk shit about living with their parents, like I was like, hey, I think it's pretty cool. Like, I don't mind it at all. I had no desire to move out. And it was actually like uh, in, in around like November last year where my, my dad decided that he wanted to, to live on his own. And, <laughs> and so was like, yeah. And, and so like also, so I have two younger brothers and, and the older of the two younger brothers was also living with my dad. So it was three of us living in that house. And so he was like, uh, yep. Um, so I, I'm going to sell my house. So you guys have, uh, like a couple months to like find where you're going to live next. <laughs> um, and I mean, he was really supportive and like, like helping us find our next place or whatever, but he was kind of just like, Yeah. I've raised you long enough. Like you guys are in twenties. Like I decided I'm ready to like have move on to the next chapter of my life where I don't live with my kids anymore. So, um, good luck pretty much. And so, uh, like, you know, that was actually the, the kikake. That, that was the impetus of me moving out and finding my own apartment. And now I live in an apartment with my brother. And in hindsight, it was really good for me. Like I probably should have moved out sooner because although it felt like, Oh, nothing's going to be different if I live on my own. It does feel different when you are paying all the bills and you are paying for all the groceries and, you know, like there's there's a totally different sense of independence and responsibility that I think is just really good. It really like helped me feel way more like an adult. And uh, and so 
I think it was really good for me. I probably should have should have done it earlier. But I mean, either way, it worked out really well because I was by the time that I had to move out, I had enough money on Patreon to the point where paying for all my bills was not not very difficult. And so, you know, now I'm like, don't money is not really concerned with me because I at least have enough to, to pay all my basic bills. And I mean, I'm not really that, you know, I don't, I don't really spend that much money on that much stuff. You know, I'm not really that into like eating out all the time or like having expensive clothes or whatever. So it's like for the important things like, hey, I need a new computer or something like for the important things I can buy. I, I have enough money. I can afford those things. And for all the basic expenses, I can afford it. And so um, now it's it's like like I think my parents are are just pretty proud of me that like, hey, I'm completely financially independent. Just do, start doing my own completely own thing. Like I just made made a new kind of job out of nowhere. And those are enough people who like are getting value over there. They're uh, give me all the money that I need. So now I think they're like really proud of me. And my mom actually has kind of like her own consulting business and is like part of another pretty small, like is like pretty high up another small business. So she knows a lot about running a business. So she, she helps me a lot on like some of the like financial and, and like tax related stuff and things like that. So that's also like, I'm in a really lucky situation overall because of that as, as well. But yeah, I mean, I guess they're, they're always, yeah, really supportive. And uh, especially now that it's like really taking off, you know, mm-hmm. you, you talked uh, a bit about your Patreon milestones as well. And I feel like there's no bigger milestone than that first dollar. So how did that feel for you when some person that you had no idea, like who they were, just went and donated you some money? Like, how did that feel for you on the inside? It was dope. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, uh, like I had been, I mean, I think I uploaded my first YouTube video in like, well, Technically, I uploaded the first video on that channel in 2011. Like, right when I first started doing AJAT, I, like, filmed a video in my room and put it up. But I had been occasionally putting out videos starting from around 2014, 2015. And basically, by that point, I had I was fluent in Japanese. That was kind of like when I was at University of, at, at University of Oregon. And I felt like I had figured out a lot of things about learning Japanese that weren't on the original AJAT website. So I just naturally wanted to share them with people. So I started making YouTube videos like every couple. I, I didn't have any sense of obligation at all. It was totally just for fun. It was like whenever I had an idea and I just felt like I wanted to do it, I would go and like make a video. And they're pretty shitty videos. Like it, it only took like a day to make each video, like half a day. Like when I watch them now, they're, they're like so bad. Like I cringe watching them, especially like I'm using this like potato microphone and, and I'm like not speaking clearly at all. So it's like really hard to, to hear what I'm saying. But, but anyway, like just through making those videos, I built up like a small audience, like I might've had like 300 subscribers or something. It felt like a lot at the time, but you know, like j- just because I was one of the only people putting out Ajax content on YouTube, like literally. And so, you know, for those few amount of people who were into Ajax, they'd, they'd find my channel and they liked my content. And so when I, by the time I made my first Patreon, there was a, like instantly, I think I, I surpassed like a hundred bucks, like, uh, like on the first day or two. And so it was, I was just lucky how that worked out. Um, and it felt really awesome. Uh, cause I, at the time that was, I was making no money before that. So it felt like big upgrade. <laughs> and it's just like a couple hundred bucks a month or something. So, yeah. Like, I guess now to the point where you're at and where like MIA and your channel has grown to, 
how fulfilling does it feel that you're doing something where it's really guided by your passion and not like someone i guess you like you mentioned like not wanting to go and work for someone but like have all that freedom to yourself and put out what you want to put out i mean there are definitely many moments where i do kind of take a step back and i'm like hey things are going pretty well like i'm not doing so bad you know like (laughs) like you know just it feels like, hey, I think things are going pretty... I mean, even though there's still, like, tons of things I struggle with, like, tons... I still have tons of personal struggles, and, and like, still, I, like I said, I'm still, like, not near, not anywhere close to where I want to be when it comes to the ability to run MIS business. I'm still, like, very much in the process of figuring out, but it kind of just feels like, well, things are, like, on track. Like, I'm, I'm headed somewhere. And so, there are a lot of times where, where I, like, yeah, I'll take a step back and it'll feel really rewarding, and especially, like, you know, when I put out a video that I feel like is really good, and then, you know, for the first couple hours, just refreshing every couple seconds to like see the new comments that came and, and like things like that as a, always like pretty fun and, and fulfilling. And, um, and, and so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of times where I, I feel very positive towards it, but there's also just a lot of times where I just feel like crap. There's so much I have to do. Like I need to, I need to be more productive. Like, oh, there's so much on my plate and I, I just feel really stressed out and like I don't have enough time to get to all the things. So it's kind of like, you know, um, just going back and forth between those those two places. I mean, probably spend more time, to be honest, in that place of like, oh crap, I suck. I need to get better. Like, I need to help my game. Um, but ultimately, I think that's good because that's what grows you. You know. Mm-hmm. So, I guess another um another thing on the path of growth is goal setting. And I know you definitely have like a very big goal set in mind, but there's kind of like sub goals to get there, right? So what is, I guess, like the next goal in your mind that you want to hit that you'll feel like, all right, I'm on, I'm on my way to the next step. I mean, let's see, like, I mean, almost going to hit 50K. So there's some like, like really practical things. I mean, I, I, the goal for the YouTube channel in my mind is kind of like 100K. Like, like I said, I think that that would be like really cool to hit that. Um, I mean, right now I'm, I'm, I'm like focused on making the new version of the site. So I really, I really like want to get that out. And cause, cause what I kind of feel now is like the, there's a real lack of content on the MI website. So it's kind of like, man, I'm getting so much traction with the YouTube videos, but then, you know, I send them to the site and there's nothing, nothing on the site. So that always is like, you know, quick, gotta, gotta like get on that. And, um, and, and then I think like, yeah, once I get the next version of the, uh, of the site out and, 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 like, I mean, there'll be a while to flesh out the content, but once I, like, get out the main content of the site and, like, remake that, then I think hopefully I'll have more time to, like, f- really focus on, like, s- putting regular time into studying up about running a business and running, the, like, the financial stuff and the and the, the legal stuff and, like, you know, go in and, and, like, trademark the logo and, and all these things like that. And so I don't really know if those are goals, but, I mean, kind of just in my mind, it's kind of like, okay, I got to do the site so that I can have more time for the legal stuff and then gotta go do that legal stuff and and i mean i I think ultimately it's like now it feels like in order to get all the stuff that i need to get done done i need to like be working almost like all the time and like like i'm pretty bad about like stopping at the end of the work day to you know go and actually rest or like taking a day off and so one of my goals is like get to the point where like get productive enough where i can get everything i need to get done and then still like be able to actually finish working at like five or six and actually take a day or two off where I'm actually not working the whole day. Whereas now it's like, I just feel like I'm not productive enough to be able to, to like have both of those things, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I guess that also goes upon, like, the idea of, like, strategy. And, like, strategy is, like, a big thing, right? But you can kind of split it up into, like, short-term strategy, like, what's going on right now, and then, like, the long-term strategy. So you kind of mentioned, like, the long-term strategy and, like, the short-term strategy for your channel. But with the new um, MIA website coming up, like, what is your long-term vision for the site and how it can help everyone interested in MIA and everyone coming through to um, from your YouTube channel? I mean, the goal is to basically have it set up so that, like, when you, 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 you could send someone to the site, they have no idea what it's going to be ahead of time, and then they immediately, within, like, a minute or two, get what's going on. And they get, like, oh, like, they, they, that's, like, kind of how I'm structuring it and kind of, like, how, kind of, like, a three-tier system where, because this is actually, like, based off of feedback I got from the first version of the site. Like, the first version of the site, which I never even ended up completing, was it, there was going to have, there were going to be stage guides. So there's five stages. Each stage has a guide, which is basically like everything you need to know to complete that stage. And it, it basically was enough content. It might take like 90 minutes to read a stage guide. And in my mind, I thought that was awesome because it was like, it's one page, one link. It's like, here, here's how to learn. Here's like the first six months to one year of your Japanese study on one page with a table of contents at the top. I thought it was perfect, but turns out, most most people are too in- intimidated by the length to actually like sit down and read it. So most people don't read it. They like skim parts of it, and then they just try to like Google for questions, and then they or they like go into the Discord server and ask ask basic questions. Go to Reddit, ask basic questions, and pond on my videos asking basic questions, and so th- they don't actually read the guide. And so now I'm kind of and uh, I've like realized from that, and just from getting feedback from other people, like I have to set it up so that you the the site is kind of like like first there's like there. Ha- there has to be something, some way so you can figure out what is going on like very quickly. So there has to be like, okay, the first thing you, you come across is, is like the, the, the just highest level bullet point view of the whole process. So it's like the first thing I'm, I'm going to have people see is like, okay, here are, is the roadmap with the four stages and like a bullet point list of what each stage is. You could read that in like, you know, one minute. And then after that, there's like one page for each stage. So it's like, okay, here's what you do. And it's like stage one in one or one or two pages. Because we do say you one or two pages. So then like they can read that and get like a better idea. Then there's like a list of like, of like articles that cover like nitty gritty stuff. Like, okay, here's active immersion in stage one. Like here's how to make a sentence card. And like that way they can easily like whatever questions they happen to have or whatever information they have, they happen to want in that moment, they'll be able to find the article just for that. And so that way, like the problem is if you put all the information in one page, then they're not going to sift. Th- most people aren't willing to sift through to find what they want. Instead, they just look elsewhere. So I have to co- like, hopefully this new structure. And again, I'm sure it won't be perfect. I'm sure there will be unforeseen problems with this one that I will learn once I make it. And then I'll, there'll be a, a new version. But I think this will be at least a big step up from the way it is now in terms of helping people like quickly figure out like, okay, what actually is MIA about? What do I actually do? You know, how do I actually get started? Yeah, because it's always the first step is always action, right? Because otherwise you'll never know. I feel like this is probably like good point um, to, I think it's a good area to wrap it up though in terms of like, we've kind of come across your entire journey. In the beginning, it was Matt, the person from Oregon who wanted to go to Japan. And it was more of like, oh, I studied abroad there. And honestly, like, screw everyone. I'm going to become the best, like... (laughs) But you kind of moved past that. You kind of went through your internal struggle where you were like, oh, okay, well, I had this vision of Japan in my mind this entire time when I was like getting to this level of Japanese. But in reality, like I was thinking about it in a way where 
it was like really impartial and then of course you end up going on the flip side of that where it was like oh but uh japan though like uh what have i been doing but you like moved past that you grew your youtube channel and now you have this entire mia business that but not just just by yourself but i'm um really excited to see what's to come for mia i, I just want to say do you have a message to i guess the viewers and listeners in terms of like I I feel like you usually have something that you kind of are like, oh, yeah, I'm on a podcast. I'm going to go say this on the way out. But is there, <laughs> I guess, more of like a more like a word of advice from all the experiences you've gone through personally and like nothing really like necessarily to do with Japanese or Japan, but something you felt like personally you've grown and is something that like will help someone, at least one person. Yeah, that's hard. I mean. I mean, like, especially because we were just talking about how, uh, like, the business side of things, where I feel like I'm very much still in the trenches, as you say. Like, when we're talking about the language learning process in particular, yeah. I can speak with a certain amount of authority. Yeah. But uh, now I've, like, feel my headspace is, like, out of that authoritative voice and into the more of, like, the very humble, like, very much just still figure this out place. But I mean, um, yeah, like... If you if you if you get good at a, at a foreign language, you probably won't won't regret it. Um, if you uh, if you're watching this, then you're. I mean, I guess a lot, most people watch this probably are, are into learning Japanese, right? So I'd say, you know, I mean, I think, I think people who are kind of like coming up now, learning Japanese with immersion methods, like the meta has progressed quite a bit, and so I don't think that very many people with. I mean, I don't even think I need to tell people like no one's very few people are probably going to crash and burn as hard as i did because they're going into this they're already aware of those potential pitfalls right they're they're aware of like you know hey if you are your whole life is completely dedicated to learning japanese like the fact that you decided to do that probably means you got some stuff going on in your psychology you should probably like be looking at that a little bit and in general i think it's like hard to have too many delusions about japan because now like you know it's very we're it's so common to hear the good and the bad be discussed at this point. So I feel, feel like, yeah, the, the most important thing, which is like, you know, be level-headed. Don't, don't be like too elitist. Don't, don't fall into that trap of feeling like, you know, you're better than other people because you're really good at Japanese and that learning, mastering Japanese is going to solve all your problems. Like, I feel like I don't even, that's the most important thing I would want to say probably to your guys as viewers, but I also feel like I don't even need to say it because probably like just due to how much the meta has progressed, it's like people are already going to know that. Yeah, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. After like spending all this time watching you, it's really inspired me personally. And I think not obviously not just me. There's a whole MIA community out there, and I know you're helping at least one. But like, there's so many people being helped. Eric has actually yeah. introduced me to you. It's it's the whole world growing. It's a whole movement, like you were saying, and. I really, really appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah, especially with how busy I know you are. It's like really appreciate you taking out the time and giving this long form podcast. Oh, yeah, my, my pleasure. Thanks for asking good questions. A lot of questions I've never been asked before, so I didn't have a, a prepaid answer, but I, I, think, I think I was able to do okay. Hey, guys, hope you enjoyed our conversation with Matt versus Japan. If this is the first time you're listening to the Kodakata podcast, me and my co-host Raza talk about our experiences studying abroad, so we also interview people who have some sort of background in Japan, 
And if you're interested in Japanese culture or just thinking about moving there, please consider subscribing and listening to more content. We also love talking to you as well, so please consider joining our Discord too and chatting with us. If you want to personally support the podcast, we do have a Patreon, and that would really help us in getting higher quality equipment and maybe even start doing a video portion of the podcast as well. But thank you guys for listening. 